Hi, and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie, and in each episode, I, along with my co presenters and guests, will help you connect with and protect our amazing natural world. In this episode, two of my Nature Scott colleagues join me to chat about their own personal experiences of making space for nature in their lives. Keen gardeners Fiona Leith and Marianne Sanderson discuss the healing power of the natural world and what we can all do right now to help fight nature loss and climate change. So hi Marianne, welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast. How are you today? Very well, thank you Kirsten. Good, good, good to hear. And also welcome to Fiona, who's recently joined Nature Scott uh, and like Marianne is also a keen gardener. So I'm looking forward to hearing all this green finger chat. Hello Fiona. Hello, it's lovely to be here with fellow enthusiasts. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So spring is definitely here uh, and hopefully it's encouraging many more folk to get outside and look after nature. So what have you guys been up to now that the light nights are here and it's warming up a bit? So start with you, Marianne. Well, I have been doing a little bit of, well, remodelling is probably a bit a bit of a, <laughs> an overstatement, but a bit of um, tinkering with some of uh, a part of my garden, just digging out some plants that needed split and trying to find homes for all the, the new ones that um, I seem to have accumulated against my better judgment. Brilliant. What about you, Fiona? Yeah, less sort of reevaluating. I think it's more like that, you know, it's like the floodgates open at spring at this time of year. It's like the start of the Grand National. You just get that urge to get going with everything. So I was growing from seed at the start of the year. Uh, so I had all these lovely seedlings taking up the sort of kitchen table that were begging me to get outdoors. So the last couple of weekends have been spent, you know, potting on and, and getting plants out into the ground for the season ahead, which has been wonderful. Brilliant. Good for you guys. And, and Marianne, I remember you speaking about um, sharing and swapping your plants with neighbours uh, during lockdown. I remember you had a little table out the front of your um, of your garden, which was fantastic and obviously safely and from a distance. Um, so tell us how that went and, and are you continuing that this year? Are you seeing things blooming from, from that uh, this year? Absolutely. Um, as you said, I when I was doing, you know, splitting, um, of course, I've not got enough room to replant. I've got a fairly small town garden, not enough plant, uh, room to plant um, the, the things that I've split up. So I had a table, just a wee picnic table out the front of the, the house and um, passers-by who were on their lockdown walks came and picked up plants all for free. And that generated quite a few conversations with people who live locally uh, who were just passing by and I discovered that I had quite a few more gardening neighbours than than I knew about. So there's some new relationships there and a, a bit more plant swapping. So while I was trying to get rid of plants in the you know to other people, I managed to accumulate because of course when a gardener gives away a plant, a fellow gardener feels like they have to give you one back. <laughs> of course, <laughs> which is the abs- an absolute joy, of course. Um, <laughs> So, you know, you, you, don't, you don't end up with any fewer plants than you started with. But, uh, yeah, certainly meeting new people, which is fantastic. Brilliant. That's great. Um, and obviously, you know, everybody during lockdown, I think a lot of people actually really experienced the, the, the mental and physical health benefits from, from being outdoors. And, and our surveys, you know, prove that time and time again. But, um, you know, sometimes we just can't muster up the, the motivation to get out. And I mean, I know I certainly feel the benefits if I get out for a walk at lunchtime. Uh, what what kind of mo- motivates you guys to to get out uh, into the outdoors and enjoy enjoy nature? Marianne, start with you. I had a very specific reason for for needing to get out. Um, I, I was actually really really unwell um, earlier this year, and I was not able to to do very much. I'm literally not able to walk, walk the length of my house. 
So my recovery included just a little bit of pottering in the garden, just walking up and down the path and just looking for small signs of spring um, as, I, as I got better. And that was, that was really, really important. So it really brought home the sort of healing power of nature in a way that I hadn't I'd appreciated before, but I hadn't appreciated personally before. Um, so that that was just absolutely amusing. And every small shoot that I, I saw sort of just made my recovery that little bit better. Mm-hmm, absolutely. What about yourself, Fiona? Yeah, I mean, I would echo how Marion describes the sort of power of nature, you know, uh, and lovely to hear that, that it's had that effect in, in a recovery. I've had similar experiences myself, but also just, I think, that accessing nature in just the most simple way, actually, as well, and not seeing it as a huge ambition to just step out on a small scale and just, you know, um, notice what's on your doorstep can also be very powerful. Just the tree outside your window, the bird in the tree, if it's feeding, things like that. And I think uh, the effect lockdown had on me was actually bringing thing back, things back to basics. And obviously it wasn't uh, a time where we could go on big adventures. Uh, we could plan big trips to, to see specific things. So actually just really bringing, bringing things back to the doorstep in their most simple way had a similar sort of power in, in the simplicity of that and, and what is accessible to, to most of us um, just out a window or a doorstep can actually be, you know, can have a really positive effect on, on all of these things as well. I was just going to say, I think Fiona's absolutely right. On uh, Twitter, I follow a, 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 I can't actually remember the name of the account, but it's basically an account that looks for plants in sort of urban settings, just going, going through the pavement, going through walls. And that has given me a, a very different perspective on, well, dandelions and ivy-leaved toad flax in particular. I'm a bit obsessed with these two plants now. You see them growing through pavement cracks and on walls absolutely everywhere. But the just the attention to the detail that Fiona mentioned and that that Twitter account has um, sort of brought to my attention has just been absolutely joyful. So just sort of small walks, you know, how many little plants can you see? Actually, my street grows a lovely crop of barley every year, which I used to get really annoyed about because weeds you know but now I think oh we're going to have that lovely crop of barley I, I, I live in West Edinburgh I don't know why we've got a crop of barley in the street but we have but I'm going to find a new joy in that this year. Wonderful absolutely it's funny even that um, I noticed a lot of lichen which you know when you actually look closely at it it's absolutely amazing I mean it, it really is when you actually look at the detail of what is going on around you and even at the end of our street we've got wild garlic growing so it's a uh, I really should try and make some kind of wild garlic pesto, but um, I prefer to just <laughs> walk by it and smell it instead. I think th- those things are really key when, when we think about how we can make space for nature. And sometimes that can feel slightly overwhelming. And actually just those really simple actions, you know, that, that everyone can find to take in their day to day, make it just that bit more sort of democratic and more achievable for us all. And, and really to bring it back, I always think, to what I'm enjoying now in this kind of new, newfound love for nature in my life is, is almost that childish instinct again and to go back to that. And that doesn't need technology, you know, it doesn't need necessarily transport. It just needs two feet and a bit of an imagination and, and an open mind to what you see around you. And everyone can do a little bit of that. 
it's also for all the senses as well. I mean, obviously it's for your sight, but uh, I think one of my great joys is to go out in the garden in the evening or when it's dark and the different smells that you have during the evening. It just brings a whole different perspective to the garden. I've got a small pond in the garden, so you know I can listen to the, the frogs or just different sounds, different smells, different senses at different types of uh, times of the day. So it's not just about being out in the, the daytime, but it's perhaps you know looking at your garden at night to see what's what's going on. Bats. We've, I mean, again, urban West Edinburgh, we've got lots of bats around about, and I absolutely love watching them flying around. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, as you say, the smell is is really quite unique as well at a certain time in the evening too and especially when the birds are all settling down for the night we've got a rookery nearby as well and just the noise of that and the, the kind of I don't know the noise the smell everything it's uh it is it's amazing and as you say we we have frogs as well and it was the first time this year I actually heard them in the pond one evening and it was amazing absolutely uh yeah overpowering fantastic so uh, definitely we encourage everybody we're certainly selling it anyway aren't we we're uh we're certainly <laughs> in so. love with it um <laughs> So yeah, the other thing I was thinking about is if people don't have a, a garden or, or an outdoor space uh, close at hand, what, what do you think they could do to, to get out there and, and help nature, help themselves as well? Is there anything that you, you would maybe recommend? And Fiona? So there's sort of two things I would recommend there is, is just to reiterate that sort of, you know, not to feel that overwhelm, to actually really bring things back to basics in that way that you know, if we're all looking at this from a sort of tackling climate change uh, approach, there are items in the household, there are, you know, free seeds available, there is soil accessible to most of us that could actually, you know, bring about a small windowsill garden very easily or a doorstep container using, you know, an old plastic milk jug as your watering can, toilet rolls for, for seed growth. It can actually be, you know, a, a really cheap way of, of bringing nature to your doorstep and to, to your home. But also, if you're seeking to engage with nature, some of the most powerful experiences I have had have been in a more communal setting, a community garden or orchard, and just what the power of people coming together to access nature can, can offer can be really quite life-changing. And people can come to these sort of settings for all different reasons and get all different sort of things out of them. But at the core of this is people all with that similar hope that they are there to understand or enjoy or enhance nature in some way and you can come to that with no knowledge in these sort of community green spaces or you can actually come and contribute your own knowledge and get something from being that contributor as well so it goes it goes on all all ends of the spectrum I think to really simplify it down to your own actions and then being able to engage in it in, in a more sort of collegiate way in your community as well. Absolutely. Certainly in Nature Scott, we're, we're very fortunate to be able to have a, a volunteering day every year. Um, and recently I took up the opportunity and went to volunteer on, on Loch Leven NNR, uh, which was fantastic. And it was it was working with other colleagues towards a goal. But equally, there was no, you know, there was no technology, there was no email, there was no nothing. It was You were out there, you were immersed in it and, and enjoying hearing the geese flying overhead. It was it was really great. What about you, Marianne? Is there anything you would recommend for people who don't really have access to a garden or an outdoor space as such? 
I think the current sort of trend is for um, house plants, and I, th- I think uh, you know having a few plants in, in your house is another way of experiencing nature. With you know, if you have absolutely no outdoor space at all, I, I think when, when I had my kids, I seemed to lose all my house plants. I'm not quite sure how that how that happened, <laughs> but they're they're um, sort of older teenagers now, and um, I've got right back over lockdown, got right back into to house plants, and I'm just I'm looking at my windowsill here, and um, I can see African violets and streptocarpus, uh, several different plants, um, all in flower just now. I've got herbs on my kitchen windowsill. So actually, I've, I've got a, a little garden indoors. And I think that's that's a really great way if you've got no space outside to, to do a bit of gardening and to have that contact with, with nature. It might not be, I mean, I guess streptocarpus and African violets are not exactly native to Scotland, but but still, it's a, it's a good way of engaging with, um, well, with plants and with, with nature. You know, we know we all need to take action to help tackle nature loss and climate change. And kind of breaking it down to right now and what people can do. I was just thinking about, I mean, for instance, there's Plant Life's No More May, which is, is simply letting your, your lawn flourish for the month of May. So it's, I mean, that's fantastic because it's providing nectar for pollinators and so much more for nature. Is there anything that you would say that would be absolutely, let's just get everybody doing this right now, you know, that you can maybe think of? I'll start with you, Marianne. Well, Nomo May is is fantastic. I mean, I'm not sure that many people enjoy cutting their uh, lawns. Well, I don't know. My next door neighbour's quite a fan of it, but (laughs) 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 Uh, I'm quite happy to have an excuse not to to cut it. And what what a perfect reason. I do have to cut a bit of it just for access to our drying green and boring things like that. But there's certainly quite a, a wide strip underneath a, or not next to a hedge that we leave just permanently unmown and yeah there's all sorts of things popping up there in fact I was out the, the other day and uh, I've got primroses in, in my garden and they've self-seeded uh, all over the the lawns sort of in, in the drying green area sorry drying green's very Edinburgh thing I'm not sure if, they, if they're if you have them sort of outside Edinburgh it's quite a quite a specific <laughs> thing but anyway the, the the grass is yeah full of self-seeded primroses which is, is absolutely fantastic it looks beautiful and and that strip that we believe also provides a corridor for the frogs to get to our pond as well. The pond's actually quite near the house. But that yeah, that provides a corridor where they, they come over from sort of the, the local school playing fields, which is where I imagine they spend quite a lot of their time, you know, not actually living in water but yeah. bouncing about elsewhere. <laughs> That's brilliant. One of our one of our frogs actually ended up in my neighbour's house. Yeah. So she wasn't best pleased, but anyway, we got it back. So uh yes. So that was, they do, they certainly do travel. They do like to, to get out and about. And what about yourself, Fiona? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of No More Me as well. And I think to take that a step further, w- one of the great things about No More Me is that it really instills that understanding for people around, around the connection between pollinators and food and the resource of nature and valuing it and conserving it, but making that connection as to, you know, why we want to protect the pollinators, why we want to promote uh, their food supply and making the connections to our own lives. So in terms of immediate action we can all take, I always think it's been an evolution for me, I think, in, in my approach to gardening, but it's almost to take your foot off the gas in the garden and slow garden, you know, stand back, look at what the bees, butterflies, insects are attracted to, look at what is benefiting 
nature from your garden and, you know, celebrate it, but just expand on those aspects of your gardening. Because I think historically gardens have gone through all these different sort of phases of really ornate, pristine, you know, uh, grand scale sort of patterned gardens for, for shows of wealth and things. But it really heartens me that I think gardening now is really moving in the right direction and moving towards that protection of nature hand in hand. And it's not seen as an opposing factor. It can actually be a place that really celebrates and enhances nature on a smaller scale. And, and as uh, Marianne says, builds, builds, you know, hedgerows and highways and byways for nature to come through our lives that will benefit both insects and, and, and animal life ourselves too and we can share share in the value of all of that absolutely that's so positive it's uh, so important uh, that we all do try and make space for nature and and even you see a lot of gardens uh, around certainly around here that have you know been paved over or have artificial lawns and these kind of things and i'd love to just see more people getting away from that and going back to grass and 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 really you know just letting it flourish and and, and not mowing longer than may if possible. So is there anything else you wanted else to speak about? If there was sort of one thing that you could do in your, your garden, I, I would think it would be to put some water in, in some form. Now, I've, I've got a pond. It's tiny. It's about a metre by half a metre. It's, it's little more than a puddle, really. But the wildlife that it attracts is absolutely incredible. And if you don't or can't put in a pond, then just even like a plastic tree, well, not a plastic tree, let's, let's not introduce any more plastic into the garden, but some sort of tray or, you know, pot that you can have water in and, you know, particularly birds, I think, appreciate that, just bathing, that type of thing. Just a shallow tree is, is something, but just some form of water in, in the garden. It's incredibly soothing as well, just to, you know, to look at or if your water's moving to listen to as well. Absolutely. And you don't need a garden. You don't really need an outdoor space. You need even just a windowsill, just a, a, a small saucer or some kind of source of water. Absolutely. Yep. Anything else you wanted to add, Fiona, as well? I would also just a different aspect to this that we've maybe not touched on so much around personal gardening and how nature can benefit from it, I think, is, is to grow your own and see the sort of experience of growing your own food as actually being a gift to nature at the same time as, as well as your own <laughs> your own belly. Uh, so any you know food source that you are growing will inevitably attract a pollinator in and you both benefit in that, that sort of sharing of, of growing plants, growing food, and, and, and immersing yourself into nature can actually have that, th those two sort of benefits on both sides. And, and I think, again, that can be done on such a small scale. You don't need allotments and big schemes to, to grow food, um, just a seed in a pot and everyone benefits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Marianne, I'm also thinking about your, your talking about food, but um, kind of opposite end of it with, it with your compost heap that you have and you've added a, a few interesting things into your compost heap over the years. Do tell us. I have. I, I've got a, a compost heap that sits in what I think would be traditionally thought of the wrong place. It's it's out of the sun. I do nothing to it. I don't turn it. I just shove kitchen waste in it and waste from the garden, not perennial weeds, obviously. 
And I, I know what you're trying to get me to say here, Kirsten, and I'm going to say it, that I have put in in the past items of clothing, whisper it, underwear and socks um, and other, and other things into the compost heap. And they have composted, you know, things that are made of cotton and wool have composted down beautifully. And uh, my compost heap's not madly productive. It's, it's very small because I don't have an enormous garden. But the gold that comes out of the bottom after a couple of years is, it never ceases to amaze me that you put all this, you know, all this stuff on the top and at the bottom, because uh, I've got one of these sort of green Dalek type uh, compost heaps, the stuff that comes out at the bottom is just, it, it's magic. No one will ever convince me otherwise that it's, it's just magic. I know all the science behind it, but I don't care. It's magic. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. I love hearing about your compost heap. I really do. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much, ladies. I think we're, we've totally sold everybody on the making space for nature. I'm certainly turning a wee bit green fingered uh, every day uh, as we go along. So thank you so much for joining us and enjoy your gardening. Happy gardening. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Make Space for Nature, please follow it on your podcast app and leave a review or rating. We'd also love you to tell more people about the series. For more ways to connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.